Um, I'm excited about this morning. We've been in this series called uh, Make Some Room all summer, and uh, it's something that we've been doing in our house, and I kind of knowing what was going in, I, I just kind of cleverly named it Make Some Room, because it's kind of what's going on in my life, but God was speaking all these different things that, that are priorities um, in our lives, that should be priorities in our life, things about our relationship with God, and like making room for God to speak, making room for sowing and, and, and reaping, and, and making some room for deeper relationships. And today I want to talk to you about making some room for purpose, making some room for purpose. Um, and so I guess this whole kind of um, what I'm going to talk about this morning really comes from um, when I was a kid. Um, my, my family was like really involved in church. They were always there. Um, and as a kid, like I had to go, right? Anybody grow up in a house like where mom and dad said, you go in because you live in my house? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Okay, so that's where I, that's kind of what I grew up in. Some of you didn't have that, um, but I, I did. And, and back then, uh, and still in some churches, like you came early to church. Like you didn't, you didn't get here right on time or, or a little bit after, like you came early for something called Sunday school. So some of you grew up around Sunday school, you know what I'm talking about, and it's like where everybody came in, and then like there was classes for adults, there was classes for um, the kids, uh, and then we did that, and then we kind of moved into kind of a larger gathering set up. Most of uh, our kind of programs these days in uh, most churches is now like in small groups and different things. Uh, there's still some churches that do the Sunday school model, but, um, and then you would, you would leave, uh, and then you would come back that night. They'd have night stuff, which actually began for shift workers, people who worked overnight, who got to sleep, and there's probably some people who work overnight and cannot wait for us to start a Sunday night service so they can sleep in on Sunday mornings and then come. So they started this evening service, but then it kind of turned into, you know, people that come to actually both of them. They'd, they'd come in the morning and they'd come back at night, and so they, the pastor's like, well, if everybody's going to keep coming back, I kind of guess I need to come up with a different sermon. So he, he would have to do two, and then, um, then there was a Wednesday night thing, and you come Wednesday night, so it was just like this a lot of activity and engagement around the church body, which might sound a lot for, for a lot of us in the kind of more modern context where we're kind of used to a Sunday morning thing and maybe a small group deal. Um, but uh, actually, it, like biblically, like they gathered together daily. That, that was a normal part of their life was to be with like believers daily in, in some shape or, or fashion. Um, most of them didn't live 45 minutes from each other. They, they lived in, in, in closer communities and smaller communities. Um, but anyway, kind of... A, uh, the reason I kind of tell you the backstory of kind of what it used to be and, and what it looked like is because those were, in some ways, um, the way, like those Sunday morning stuff, uh, Sunday school stuff, and Wednesday night, those type of things were the ways in which they kind of took the message of discipleship and, and the, the, the mission of discipleship that Jesus gives his church in Matthew 28, 19, 20. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to, com- uh, to obey everything I've commanded you, and remember I am with you until the end of the age. That was at the Matthew 28. It's the very end of uh, Ma- uh, Matthew's gospel. Jesus is giving it to his disciples before the ascension. It's his kind of last mission. We call it a co-mission because it's Jesus' mission, and we, just, we do it with him, um, and that he's called us to go make disciples. And so that's our mission. Like when we were establishing this church, we didn't feel like we needed to, to dream up another mission outside of the mission Jesus gave us. In fact, we think it would take us off his mission if we kind of tried to make everything um, about us. And like there's, there's great, you know, um, churches that are doing that and, and, and kind of keeping it kind of in context. But for us, keeping it connected to Jesus' mission was really important. 
So we begin to explore, okay, what, is that, what does that look like? How do we, how do we walk that out? And, and what I've found, and the reason I want to sit down and talk about this, is because I think by and large, the church, like capital C Church, has not grasped how to get this done. On, not, not, on the, not on the big organized program level. I think we've, orga- I think we've organized well. We, we put programs in place. But when I say the whole, I'm meaning individuals. As individuals, we have not been able to grasp what that looks like on a daily basis. And, and even if we are able to grasp it, we don't feel like it's something that we are able to accomplish. Is everybody with me? Like It, it feels like that's a, a large leap, and, and, and maybe that's for a pastor or a teacher, but it just doesn't feel like something that would be for, for everybody or for, for maybe, just take it personally, be for me. And so I, I want to dive into the text in, in here in just a second in Matthew chapter 4. Um, but before we do, our, our core values in our church really speak to how we see Jesus making disciples in the Bible. Our mission is Jesus' mission, go make disciples. And how we see Jesus making disciples in the Bible, we kind of, kind of take it, take it uh, as a little bit of a journey for us. And hopefully in this time, if you've never caught it before, you'll be able to catch what this actually looks like, us walking this out. Some of you have heard these so many times, you'll be able to quote them with me. Um, but you can throw them up there. And really what I'm trying to wrap our brain around, because Jesus gives us not only the mission, but he gives us a model for what discipleship looks like. So when, when I talk about discipleship, I'm talking about simply pointing people to Jesus, encouraging pe- people in their walk with Jesus. I think when we hear the word, it sounds like something that most of us would not have access to. It sounds like a high kind of church term that most of us would not be able to grab onto, but Jesus, in fact, brought fishermen and and, and everyday folks that didn't have seminary degrees and didn't have experience. He brought them along. That's what we're going to look at here in a minute. But this is something that is accessible for us in our walk with God, and it's something that he not only calls us to, but he gives us a very kind of simple model that all of us can, can do. And that's kind of what we've plucked here in our core values is one is unconditional love. We see Jesus meeting people where they're at, and he says, hey, he draws a line in the sand. Physically, he did this at some point and said, do you see anybody here casting a stone? He said, I'm not going to condemn you. No one else here is condemning you. He drew a line in the sand, and he, and he created an environment, and he loved people right where they were at. And, and so I just want to ask you, do you think that's something that's, that's possible for you? Unconditional love's hard because like, we love to put conditions on our love. I love you until you stab me in the back, and then I won't love you in, anymore. right? But Jesus kind of upped the ante and said, hey, you've heard it said, love your neighbor as yourself. I say, like, let's raise it up. Love your enemy. Like, that's, that's real love. It's easy to like, love the people who love you, but even loving those who hate you. Like, that's Jesus, so he put the standard really high, but I think for most of us, once we begin to receive God's grace and love, just in continuing measures every single day, it becomes easier to love people right where they're at, because we realize, hey, I'm jacked up, and he loved me right where I was, and he took me from there. So I think that's something that is accessible. That's something that we can engage in on a daily basis, to love people right where they're at. And basically, we just follow God's example. He leads the way in love. He loves them. And if he loves them, then I can, I can follow that example. We also see Jesus choosing to do life in community and calling these men to come alongside of him. He, he could have kept his life very reserved. He could have been a, a, a hermit of a teacher that just came out to preach the word. God's holy um, son, you know, flawless 
God incarnate in the earth. He could have kind of reserved his presence, his physical presence to just special times. But he didn't. He chose to do life and walk with people and get real with people and tell people the truth about what was going on in their life. We even see Jesus crying. So this the depth of these relationships. Sometimes people talk about Jesus wept. When someone says, what's your favorite verse? And they can't think of anything else. They can't quote anything else. They think of Jesus wept because it's the shortest verse in the Bible. But I've always loved that scripture because it really does give us a, a true peek into not only all the other things that show his great divinity, his perfect divinity, but this shows us that deep, deep compassion and reality of human nature and emotions that he loved people fully. That was with, uh, when Lazarus died as one of his closest friends. So we say this term, no disciple walks alone. And, and so I think that that's a tough one for us as well, but I think that we can do it. I think we can learn to live honestly and to do life together and not um, choose. Uh, this week has been a little bit of a heavy week for me. I, I've, uh, I do life with people, and, and some friends of mine have, um, and some people connected with our church, uh, been struggling with addiction, and it's, it's kind of ruining their life in, in many ways. There's a lot of consequences to it, and uh, it's, just, it's just been heavy and, and from both of their lips. It's been, I wish I would have hung around God's people more. I wish I would have stayed connected in there because as they did, they could have really felt like they could have made it through that season. Uh, even when there was downs, that, that, the, that the people of God would pull them out and they wouldn't be walking it alone, which is what they've been doing. So we say that no disciple walks alone. It's coming alongside people just as uh, God and the Holy Spirit do in our life. So I think that's possible for us in this idea of relational discipleship, the, the model that Jesus gives us. And then service that this is something that's very possible for us. Jesus said, look, if you want to be great in my kingdom, you've you got to learn to be the least. Um, you've got to learn to serve. Like He set the example for what leadership looked like as service and as humility when he wrapped a towel around his waist. When he was getting ready to go to the cross, and he could have been like, dude, let's do a steak dinner. You guys worship me because I'm going, <laughs> you know, he didn't do any of that. He, he chose to wash their feet. He wrapped a towel around their waist, and it was just this deep, deep love and flipping the paradigm of what leadership among believers would look like. If we want to be great in his kingdom, we would learn to, to be the, the servant of the least. And so, um, so we set that example. So we say that greatness is poured out in these small things, just these tangible opportunities to serve. And again, I would say, that's possible. Like this is, this is not like a fancy, like big program. This is people of God, daughters and sons of God, getting a picture and saying, look, we can establish all these programs, and, that, and that's good, and we do those things. We do anchor groups, and we do nights of fellowship, and all these different things, nights of teaching and worship. But until we get this kind of beautiful, simple picture that involves us, like we begin to make room for purpose in our life, that this is not reserved to a teacher on a stage somewhere, but this is about God's people learning to live with people and make this incredible impact. Not that we have all the answers, but we just simply point them to Jesus. We just point them to Jesus and in this incredible way by serving and walking alongside them, loving them where they're at. And then we say creativity. I was driving into the church this morning and I saw the moon out and this gorgeous sunset. And we think of God as creator in establishing the universe, but we often forget that he's not done yet. And so when we say creativity, we mean that God is creator and he's not finished. He's not finished in you. He's not finished in me. He's not finished in our church. He's not finished in your family. And so we can hang on and we can come alongside people and encourage hope, inspire hope, and, and, and point them to Jesus and say, look, he's not done yet. He that started the good work in you will be faithful to complete it. Philippians 1. 
6. So we say that God's not finished yet. And there's probably a lot more details I could throw in there. But we just kept this simple kind of thing that we see in scriptures about walking with people. And And this is kind of what we see Jesus doing, constantly believing, correcting, training, and just walking together. And so I want to turn to um, uh, Matthew chapter 4 now. And we're going to talk through this. It's a very short text, so I don't have a lot of text, but I have a lot on my heart that I really want to share about this topic because it's core about not just who we are as a church, but who you are as a child of God. Um, Let's begin reading. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers. Simon called um, Peter and his brother Andrew. Uh, They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Pretty simple text, right? This is Jesus just after he had been tempted uh, in Matthew chapter 4, just after he started to preach. This is really interesting. He, he does a very, very short sermon, not like he's about to get into in Matthew 5 through 7, which is known as the Sermon on the Mount. He, he teaches like a, a really short sermon on the Met, just kind of like a wet his whistle, wet the people's whistle. And then he starts to go bring these guys along for the journey. And they're fishermen. They're fishermen. I want to share a few things about making room for purpose in our lives, and hopefully by the end of this that we'll be compelled and really see that this is something that we can do, that Jesus not only gave us a mission, but he gave us a very accessible model that's not held to pastors or teachers or people with seminary degrees. It's held for each one of us, and when we tap into it, we tap into a deep part of the things that God has inspired and placed inside of us as his children. So making room for purpose, um, uh, first means, um, my, my brain just throw it up there, please. My brain just went, it means being equipped. The the one thing about this is they're fishermen. They're fishermen. Um, a lot of times when we think about this, like process, we think of Peter who preaches all these sermons before the Sanhedrin. We think of him as this well-trained orator with lots of fire in his belly. And he was a, he was a fisherman. He was a fisherman. Um, he, you know, I don't know, I don't want to say this is insulting, but he, was, he just had an average profession. Like, he, he, he was not super lofty. It was him and his brother who, was, who Jesus was right in front of him. And um, it was who right in, was in, in front of Jesus as he was walking along. And, and he says, hey, come. Like, Come. I think many times for us, like we feel like we've got to be trained at a certain level to do certain things for God. We feel like we've, we're not capable, we're not equipped to do certain things. But the beautiful thing, there's this old saying that goes around that, that God doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the called. That he, he equips us for his service. That, that you don't have to have it all figured out when you come to Jesus, right? You don't have to have all the answers before you start getting sent out on mission from Jesus. You don't. You, you have to be obedient and step out, as we'll talk about here in a minute. But I think this is a big hurdle in our brain, is knowing that Jesus does, he, he equips us. God wants to equip us, equip us. One of the main ways he equips us is not only in the body of Christ and just learning by experience. Isn't ex- experience one of the best teachers, right? I could you know, sit here, this is something I, you know, go, go through all the time with people, is I can sit here and, and talk people through it, but once you get your hands on it, once you start living it, once you just step out and start doing those things, you learn things, right? I mean, that's on-the-job training is a really a joy, so we just need to engage in it. 
and God's going to equip us as we go. 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3, verse 16 and 17 says that the Scripture, the Scripture um, is God-breathed. Like his words, like inspired, it's, it's out of his mouth. Even though it was put to, to paper or, or script or pieces of tree or whatever it was on, parchment, it was God-breathed. And it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Like, I, I, we, a lot of times we focus on the teaching or, or we get like afraid of the rebuking or correcting, but, but catch that verse 17 so that the servant of God, you and me, might be thoroughly equipped for every good work. That there is things along your path on Tuesday morning they're the person that is your server at the restaurant. There are things all across this city during our daily lives that are good works that God has prepared for us and that he is going to thoroughly equip us for. I mean, so many believers, like we sit, we feel ill-equipped to do it. But here, here's the big deal. How are we equipped? We're equipped in God's word. Right? Some of us rely on our own intellect, our own wisdom, on regurgitation of pastor to pastor to pastor to small group leader and all the way down until we have something. When God has given us access to himself, and, and this is intimidating, we're afraid of what the rebuking might be, but for, don't get focused on that. Get focused on there are good works set before you that God has planned out that he wants to equip you for. Right? My, my attention doesn't go to the rebuke. It goes to what God has planned for my hands to do and for my words to speak. And man, I don't know about you, but I hear it all the time. I don't want to miss what God has for me. I don't want to miss those opportunities that are here when people are really pursuing, really open to, to doing what God's asked us to do. So we've got to be, not be afraid to open the Word of God and dig in and learn and grow. Like there's growing pains. There's growing pains. Um, that, that we have to do, but, but we just got to stretch our hands out. So he's going to equip us. So making room for purpose really means um, being equipped. Secondly, I, I believe it means redefining success. Redefining success. Um, I, watched this, uh, I watched this ping pong documentary yesterday for like an hour and a half. I know. It's really good, though. Uh, I, I love ping pong. In fact, I was in a wedding one time, and uh, all the guys that were in the wedding really loved ping pong, and like we posed with ping pong paddles, and we made like a really cool thing, and they digitized it and made us look like these superstars with it. Um, so I, I always liked table tennis, but I watched this documentary yesterday about these young kids who, from the age of like eight or nine, were really into to table tennis, and they were just like incredible at it. They were beating you know, adults twice their age. And they were kind of preparing. They wanted to, to kind of reach the Olympics. And it was kind of following their journey in the year leading up to uh, the 2012 London Olympics. And so this, this one family, I think it was Lily Zhang, and uh, they were talking. She's out of California, uh, American gal. And, and she, uh, is, they're talking to her parents. And, um, and she is, um, they're, they're saying, hey, you know, we don't really push because she works these crazy hours. She goes to school all day and then she trains for like six or seven hours in the afternoon. She left school at noon every day to go train for six or seven hours for, for table tennis. And they said, we don't really pound results on her. We don't really worry about the outcome. We just pound and encourage the process. Is she working hard? 
Is she being diligent? Is she keeping a good attitude? Is she sticking with it? Is, so the more focused success was really about the process, not just the product. And many of us, um, we have like a deep-seated fear of failure. And if that's you, I'm going to raise both my hands and say you're not alone, okay? We have deep-seated fears of failure, so that's why we don't accomplish things. I heard uh, the CEO of Spanx. Some of the ladies in the house know what Spanx are. Spanx are like these like tights things that hopes to keep a little extra in uh, when you want to wear those tighter jeans that you can't really fit into. But I was listening to uh, the CEO of Spanx talk. They probably make it for guys too, if anybody's interested. But um, uh, she was talking and she said, one of the things that my dad instilled in me growing up was to not be afraid of failure. That failing was okay. That I only really failed when I didn't try and when I didn't get back up from that failure. And she said, it, it really created me a different dynamic and a different vision of what I could accomplish. That it, it was much more tangible. So it was really about the process. It was about being faithful to the process. And I think the same thing is true of the scriptures, that, that the harvest is the Lord's, and um, he, he draws men unto himself. And so for us, it's about the faithfulness of casting the net. It's, the, it's about the obedience of walking in, in, in being, and listening to his voice and doing what he asks us to do. It's not about all kind of the results. And like, look, uh, I, I want results just as much as the next person, and, and I care about that. But sometimes we look at being faithful to God um, in, a wrong, in an inappropriate way, and we, we define success the wrong way. And so for in your life, if you're like afraid of like these things I'm saying and like there's just tension, like I hope you're like there's not a big ask at this or what I'm supposed to do with this, like don't be afraid to fail anymore because just know like you can, like the process you can do, you can be faithful to cast the net out. I mean, was the Michael Jordan thing or what Wayne Gretzky, I don't know who it was, you, you miss a, 100% of the shots you don't take, you know. It's just got to be faithful with, faithful with the process and redefine success and know that um, it, it's really about that faithfulness. It's, usually, it's really about stepping into that. Um, and he was saying this to disciples. Um, throw that scripture up there, if you will, um, about the disciples, because they would come into a town. Jesus was sending them out. They'd come into a town, and their feet would be dusty because they always wore sandals. And Jesus says this to them. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town and shake the dust off your feet. It was something when someone um, was coming into your home where they were going to welcome you that they would wash your feet. It was, a, it was a bit of a customary thing, and usually whoever the, the lowest in the house was, they would wash the feet. If it was a servant or a, a young child, they would, they would wash people's feet. So it was a sign of welcoming someone to their home. So Jesus is saying, when someone doesn't welcome that, dust. Shake the dust off your own feet. <laughs> like Get the dust off your own feet and just keep moving. Don't let one person that didn't receive what you had to say hold you back from what's ahead, the good works that are ahead. It's not even your responsibility if they receive you or not, right? Because isn't that how we would judge that success is whether they received it or not. But really the success is us going and being present and doing what God's called us to do. And if they don't receive it, we can brush the dust off your faith. Uh, off our face or feet. Um, and, and so I think for, for us, like going out, being faithful, when you hear, and one of the ways that Jesus really utilizes and engages in this discipleship is he asks good questions 
to people. He asks really good questions, a really powerful rhetorical thing. And he's engaging in them, and he's, and he's trying to get them to think deeper about things. And this is something that, as, as God puts someone in your path, maybe just one person that you are just loving unconditionally, and you're going to focus on that person and serve them, and, and just be beside them, just walk with them, and believe in them, just like our, you know, the core values of how Jesus does this. As you're doing that, it, it, being willing to speak that truth, but ask the right questions, and dig, let, allow God to do work in their heart as you're just faithful in the process. Um, so we've got to redefine success. Um, the, the third thing here is to follow him and, and to draw close, uh, to draw close to him. Um, you know, when we think, uh, there's a scripture. Let's go ahead and throw the scripture up. In James chapter 4, I believe. Um, come near to God and he'll come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. You Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Come near to God and he will come near to you. And, and for some of us, that may be like, isn't God omnipresent, right? How do I draw near to God? Isn't God drawing near to me? Like sometimes we have these conflicting ideas and we're, it's, it's tough to sort it out. When it says come, draw near to the Lord and he'll draw near to you, it, it, it's not speaking of physical presence. It's speaking of inside of our hearts, like drawing near to him. I think of in a dating relationship, um, and you're waiting for the other person to make the first move. You guys know what I'm talking about. Some of you guys that are single, and you're waiting. You're waiting to feel out. For me, as I told you, I was afraid of rejection, afraid of failure, and so I would. I would not ask a girl out until I got confirmation from her best friend that she was going to say yes. I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't do it. I was afraid, right? Um, and, and so uh, I think the same thing is true here. God has already drawn near to us in sending his son. God has already made the first and biggest move that there can ever be in giving his son to die for our sins. And from there, it's a matter of drawing near. And he's revealed himself in all of creation. Like the scriptures say that Romans says that he's revealed himself and he's constantly revealing himself. So even when you're going and you're sharing, finding, asking the person in front of you, you know, what, what is God doing in this situation? Is this an opportunity to speak truth? Is this an opportunity to ask questions? It, it's, it's really uh, a matter of, is this God's timing? What, what is God doing at this point? It's not a matter of rushing the process, slowing the process, being faithful in the process. Um, and, and with this, our, our journey is really just to be close to God because he loves to disciple us in close proximity. He loves to develop us in close proximity. He, he wants to, to be close. He wants to be close to us. And he's already, I mean, if anything, like sending his son, sending the Holy Spirit, like active in our life, that closeness we feel, um, it, it's indicative that he wants to do this in close proximity. With the disciples, he said, come follow me. Again, what this would look like in that time, it was a normal rabbi statement to say, follow me. It was normal. But Jesus did things a little bit differently, as you well know. He didn't just say, come follow me, because usually what disciples of a rabbi would do is they would just kind of walk around the city, they'd spend the days with them, you know, kind of a work day, and then they'd go home. Uh, Jesus was going to go traveling all about, and these guys would have to leave their family and everything, and so they were really together all the time, doing life together. And the same is true like with, with us and God, drawing near to him. He wants to develop us in close proximity with his scriptures, with his Holy Spirit, and just walking with the body of God. He, that's how we're developed and we're equipped in this process. 
Um, and the same goes true for us when it comes to um, encouraging and developing and pointing people to Jesus. It happens in close proximity. The impact we have is going to be with those that are closest to us. This was a realization Taryn and I um, had uh, several years ago that if we're going to have any impact with people, any sustaining value, it's going to be with those that get closest to us. You'll have the greatest impact on those people that are closest to you. If you don't let people close to you, you will not have a great impact. Think about that for a second. If you don't let people in, if you don't let any of the honest stuff if you don't let that in front of people and just what God's doing in you and how he's transforming, if you don't let, the impact's not going to be as great. Um, and and I, know, I know in my life, I, I want to make a, a positive impact on people. I want, I want to point people to Jesus. I want to disciple. I want to grow um, with them along this journey. Um, and it happens in close proximity. So be willing to get in close proximity with maybe just one, maybe just one person. Um, and just get real, get honest, get, get in close proximity. Uh, the last thing I think we, that I want to point out in this scripture is that they stepped out. They stepped out. They left what was comfortable for what was really unknown. Like, Jesus was a rabbi, but he wasn't this normal rabbi. They knew about him because he had been preaching in the temple like since he was young. So they knew about him, um, but they didn't know what they were getting themselves into. He's just now starting public ministry, right? Um, he had a reputation, but they didn't know what it was really going to look like. They didn't know that they were going to have to leave everything behind. I heard this one, um, this one believer that was a public speaker talking, and he said that uh, if I knew what God, he said, when I was in high school, I was so cool, like everybody liked me. And then I became a Christian and no one liked me. He said, all of a sudden, he said, if I knew what Jesus was going to ask me to do, he said, I would have never said yes. And he was joking about it. He was joking about it. So you can laugh. It was a, it was a joke. Um, he, he was saying that, that, that God calls us to, to much. And we don't know that in the beginning. We don't know all that he's going to call us into. And, and disciples were the same way. Peter and, John did not, uh, Peter and Andrew didn't know what they were getting themselves into. Um, and I, I can tell you just from this side of it, having experienced maybe some similar things that, as that guy even did, you can look back and be like, there's, there's no greater thing that we could be given than to be called child of God, to be called son and daughter and called into his mission. And, and, and when we find that purpose deep within our being, there's nothing else we want. And we would never go back. For all that we've given up, we've gained so much more. Um, and so they left everything. They stepped out from the comfort zone to the unknown. And they, they, left, they left family and friends behind and, and Hopefully, I mean, Jesus was really hardcore about this sometimes. He really was. His own mom and dad came to the door. He's like, no, my mom, my, my brothers and sisters are right here. I was like, that's offensive. Another time, a guy wants to go back and bury his father. And Jesus said, anybody puts his hand to the plow and turns back from him is not fit for the kingdom of God. Jesus was really hardcore on his standards of walking with God and, and, and being obedient and just being faithful in the process. And I'm not getting to, into this giant dialogue about what Jesus was saying about family. God's plan for family is very clear from the beginning. But it's elevated and it's enriched by the body of Christ. So all of these things, I, I think these are, are things maybe that, that kind of get in our way. We, we define success wrong. We don't feel equipped. Um, we're just kind of waiting on, on someone to draw near to us and, and, and us 
really drawn near to God and, and the comfort zone thing of really stepping out maybe with that one person and, and you're not saying, hey man, I really want to disciple you, but it's saying, hey, in your brain, like, man, this is going to be someone, this is going to be the, this is going to be the one person I'm going to make a tangible investment into. I'm going to serve them even if they turn their back on me, I'm going to keep serving them. I'm going to keep loving unconditionally and just do with one, do with, with one what you could wish you could do with everyone. Um, so, I hope that helps. I hope just kind of walking through this kind of simple model that we see in the scriptures and then walking through this text where Jesus makes it very tangible. Some, some things we've got to overcome, though, in this journey. If he can equip a fisherman, he can equip a teacher. If he can uh, equip a, a fisherman, he can um, uh, equip a pilot or um, a construction worker or uh, whatever you, you do, he can, he can equip us and he calls us into that journey. Um, I'm beginning to close, and one of the things that God spoke recently to me, as I've just prayed, God, help me clarify the vision. Help me clarify what it means to do this. Help me walk this out. So I'm sitting down trying to do that now. But one of the things he spoke to me as I was hopping back on the plane from Guatemala coming back, and he he gave me three words. They all start with in, um, and he said this, said, relational discipleship that I want you to focus on is your neighborhood, the nations, and the next generation. The neighborhood, the nations, and the next generation. Um, I don't know if you saw this recently, but it's, it's been pretty popularized here in Jacksonville that Jacksonville was, Forbes named us like number two place in the country that people are moving. There's a lot of people moving here. A lot of that's happening here in South Jacksonville and North St. John's County. Number two in the nation that people are moving. Uh, I don't know statistics and all that stuff. I, I just saw this article by Forbes, pretty reputable place that said a lot of people are moving here. And you know, driving around the city, a lot of it's happening kind of on the south side and uh, north St. John's. It's just crazy. Um, and I don't think that's by happenstance that God's planted us here a few years ago and really developed us these past few years into to, to healthy relationships and what we're going to look like and, and learning and growing through this process in the past three and a half years. I don't think that's by happenstance that, that all this has happened. I think God's really positioned us to make a kingdom impact on our neighborhood. Um, and, I, and I want you to be invested in that. I want you to be involved in that. Not just in like, hey, like, like everybody, like let's go out like minions, but, but to be invested in it. And like we start praying through our neighborhood. Like we start praying for our neighbors like genuinely, like at first you may have to like really work to make that a genuine thing because for many people that's not like a normal thing to, to pray for our neighborhood, to pray for our neighbors. But I just pray that God would quicken our spirit and just wake us up, like open our eyes to not just the physical of, of nice homes and, and, and solid schools and, and people who are making it in, in this world, but, but would open our eyes to the spiritual reality that is at play in our neighborhoods and what's really happening spiritually in our families. And that would waken us. That would just give us a passion to pray and, and, and give us a passion to, to o- open up a conversation with our neighbor. And, and I'm not necessarily talking about your next door neighbor. That's great too. But, but maybe that one person, that one neighbor that God's going to just start up a conversation and you're just going to get to invest in, right? No strings attached. I'm not trying to get something out of you. I'm not trying to get something from you. I'm just going to invest in you. I'm going to love you. I'm going to do life with you. Whatever you need, I'm here. I'm going to serve just pray that God would just wake us up to have that passion to walk and point people to Jesus in our neighborhood. Because the fields are white for harvest. They're ripe for harvest, as John 4, as Jesus says in John 4. The next is the nations. 
Uh, We've done our best to just continually pour, just from the very beginning, even probably when we didn't maybe have it in the budget, like just constantly and consistently investing in places around the nation, not to the level and to the extreme that I want to and really is my standard for what I want us giving across the nations. But I want it built in our DNA to just pray and pray. God, give us the harvest. And and I, I really want to speak on this particular topic about financial means. Because you and I will not, most likely, for the majority of us, will not spend our life in the nations. Go, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. And so God, God told me, at the, like a very clear message at the end of 2013, that you're going to have an impact and influence, talking about us, not me, having an impact and influence on every continent and um, on every continent. I always joke that I don't know if that includes Antarctica or not, but, you know, I'm sure there's people that need Jesus down there too. But he gave this vision, and it just made me so excited to watch what God does in the nations through us. And what is small in our eyes, I'm telling you, we're, we're able to bless nations in incredible ways financially because there are people in the field right now that like if God can continually just bless and like us as a people would just would just dream and vision for the nations and discipleship if we could get them money they could get bibles in the middle east like that 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 dollar could equal like a bible to someone that's in a war stricken area right that dollar could be food for kids that are being rescued off of the street that have literally been abandoned in south africa like that do- that dollars mean stuff and so where I'm talking about prayer and real relationships on the neighborhood, most of the time we're not going to have that. What we're going to do is we're going to come alongside missionaries and, and, and people who have given their life on the field, and we're just going to plant seeds and just like pray blessing over it and just let God use them. And, and we get to, it's not about us getting claimed, like look at all the missions that Fathom is doing. No, like we're just like investing in people that God has called into the field. Like that's my passion for, for the nation's. And one, in, in the past year and a half, God's just stirred up such a deep, deep passion for his next generation. Um, you, you may have pictures or glances about what happens in our, our younger kids' building and, and maybe vision of where we're going in our students and, and different things. Um, but we've got to be invested in it. Like word and in deed and in dollar, like we've got to be invested in the next generation. Um, you, you may have a vision of, of babysitting, but I promise you, like nowhere, that's nowhere near our vision. Our vision is to come alongside parents who are God's design for disciples. We're to come alongside parents and encourage and to plant as many seeds and, and as love as many kids in the, the hour, hour and a half we have with them in that time. Uh, we have, have, a, have a huge vision for family ministry um, in that, uh, that, that our young people, that our students are, are not a generation to come. They're a genera- generation present. Um, to, to, Paul said to Timothy, don't let anybody look down on you because you're young. And, and, and for any teenagers that are in this room, middle, high school, uh, young adults in this room, you're not the generation of next. Like you, you're, you're now. You're now. And we want to invest in you. Um, you can step into what God's called you to do now. Uh, Paul said to Timothy, don't let anybody look down on you because you're young. Um, David was anointed king as a very young man. Josiah was anointed king as a very young man. My vision for this church and like our, our what God's going to do is not just for our generation, uh, but when I'm dead and gone 
and our kids are carrying on the vision of what God established in 2012 and was planted in his heart before we ever began, before I was ever born. Um, that's my vision and dream is that it would be lasting for generations to come.